0: OK, <laughs> uh, thank you all for being here this morning, uh, Forum at Welfare 4. I'm Eko Ekshin, I'm the curator of the Forum and Talks Program at Welfare 4. It's my great pleasure uh, to welcome you this morning uh, to our first talk, The Birth of a Black Surrealism. Surrealism. Um, just a couple of things, just so you know, the talk has been recorded. and will be available on SoundCloud uh, via Welfare 4 site after this. And I want to thanks to education, who is the sponsor uh, of the Forum Program. I also want to give a a big thanks again to our talk, and just to introduce, uh, James is going to introduce the the wonderful panel we have assembled here today, but just a word on James. James Brett is the uh, Chair of our talk today and the Founder and Artistic Director of the Museum of Everything. so in his role as an advocate for the advancement and recognition and integration of non-academic artists, um, private practices, James has, the uh, Museum's award-winning exhibitions, installations, and initiatives since 2009. Uh, in 2012, he established the Gallery of Everything uh, to support the Museum's wider goals for inclusion uh, with a specific programme of artist-led exhibitions and happenings. James is actually uh, shown in, uh, uh, in 1.4. Yeah. Um, a group that uh, at 1.4 in the South Wing, we do S2, and um, he's assembled a, <coughs> a wonderful panel talk this morning
1: about
2: oh. well, black surrealism. Thanks. Thank you Echo, thanks a lot. Um, hello everyone. Um, I'm very pleased that we came here to 154. We, we were an addition to the program here and um, I, I contacted the fair because I felt that there was, a, we were doing something quite important at the Gallery of Everything and I wanted to make sure that we communicated it to every interested audience. And we had started at Freeze Masters with the decision to show maybe the top five artists from Haiti that I knew about. And as I investigated more on the subject, I found that actually it was much more deep, much more complex than I thought. And I could really see a line between the stuff that I originally looked at with the Museum of Everything, which people call outsider art, but which I don't really think is, is a correct terminology, and then this material coming out of this island called Haiti. And the more I looked, the more I really rejected all the labels that had been um, placed on this work. And there are clearly labels we wouldn't use today, like primitive art, but even naive art or popular art seemed to me completely misplaced. And even, actually, Haitian art, because Haitian art became something, it became a commercialized form, And in the 60s, well, not the 60s, but in the 70s and 80s, it was a sort of byword for a certain kind of making that seemed to exclude individuality. And the more I got to know Haiti, um, and some of the members of this panel helped me understand Haiti, and I'm really a generalist, I'm not a specialist, but the more I thought, actually, there's a really important story to tell and maybe a story to retell. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine, but I'm going to introduce the panel. Um, I've got Axel Lieto who is definitely um, a uh, wind beneath my wings. She is the president of the board of the Centre of Haiti, which is where this story does sort of begin. Um, I've got Wendy Asquith here, who is at Nottingham University. Um, Wendy is a cultural historian and got very interested in Haiti um, through her interest in the Harlem Renaissance. Um, Leah Gordon is the wind between my other wings. And um, she is an artist, a curator. She photographs, she makes films, she's nonstop. And uh, this is the woman who took me around Haiti some months ago, and thanks to her, I got really a hands-on understanding of how the island works and functions. And John Cussens is a writer and an artist. He's written a book, um, what's it called, John?
3: Undead Uprising.
2: Undead Uprising, which is how he met Leah, at, at an undead uprising, and um, I guess I'm going to let them all talk. I'm going to tell you a, a little first just about my opinion on it. Um, I've always liked an artist called Hector Hippolyte. Hector Hippolyte was a Hougain, or a voodoo priest, who uh, had made some pictures on the outside of a bar. It said, ici la revolution. Sitting in the car, apparently, I might be corrected, um, was Philip Toby Marcelin and DeWitt Peters. DeWitt Peters was an American artist and educator who started the Sanchada of Haiti. And you'll see things up here about the Sanchada of Haiti. And what he was doing, he was bringing together self-taught artists from across the island, and he created a hub, a network. And these artists were quite astonishing, and a lot of them hadn't started off as artists, and he fostered their creativity, and I think, I believe, really uh, created a moment and that moment then reached the outside world, for me most importantly, through André Breton and Wilfredo Lam, who arrived in the island Christmas 1945. Uh, Breton gave a series of speeches that are now infamous on the island. Lam was having a show at the Centre d'art and when Breton walked in, he saw Hippolyte's work and said, this will change painting forever. And he then included that work in his groundbreaking show, Surrealism in 1947. And that's actually the cornerstone of the talk today, because when I was researching this, and I'm, I should say, bad at history, bad at geography, so this is the wrong subject matter for me. But a friend of mine said, you have of course looked at the book. And I said, which book? He said, well, the famous book with the boob. I said, you mean, you know, with Duchamp and Breton, 1947? He says, yes. So I opened the book and I almost fall off my seat because page one is Hector Hippolyte. So this very important artist that we all might know in in the stuff we look at if we're interested in it, was actually the biggest deal for Breton at that time. And in fact, Haiti and uh, Haitian mythology informed that show completely. It was organized on the principles of voodoo that, that Breton had witnessed during his visit to Haiti. And it seemed to me that that had been completely forgotten. And the connection between surrealism and the island seems to me and I'm an amateur, I don't really know, but seems to me to be a mutual relationship. And I would like to propose that we redefine what used to be called Haitian art or popular art and actually say, you know, this is a form of black surrealism, and if it isn't, it's a movement with surrealist tendencies, or it's an African diaspora movement, or it's important mid-century black art, anything except popular art and naive art, because that dismisses it. And I'm, I'm interested in if we can rewrite that history. So, at that point, maybe I I pass on, I think, to Axel, because you have the the knowledge and the history with this material. You've worked with it a lot. Would you like to talk to us a bit?
4: Yes, and I would like to bring a Haitian point of view to this discussion. Um, I think the reason why this whole adventure of the Sinclair started was because after the American occupation of Haiti, Haitians were very interested in recuperating their own values and their own culture. And uh, the Centre d'Art, of course, everybody talks about the Peters, but without the group of Haitian intellectuals and artists who worked with him on creating the Centre d'Art, it would have not have been possible, and the great artists who are known today would not have been discovered. Because basically every time the Peters went out of the of Port-au-Prince to look for people in the countryside or in remote places. It was always with Haitian artists who pointed out Mm. what was interesting because otherwise maybe he would not have discovered all this. The other thing is that I think culture and in general, but especially for the um, African diaspora, is a transmission of um, what our ancestors bring to us. And this is very important because um, in my background, for instance, I know that I have one woman who was a mulatto woman, half French, half African, who who led the troops against the French. And this makes me very attached to my own culture because I know that. And if that transmission is not done, there is something missing in every one of us. But especially for the black diaspora, because we were taken from Africa and taken to a new place, this is even more important because it teaches us something about who we are that is not something that is easy for us to find. So the other thing I wanted to say is that my great grandfather, in the mid 19th century, was ambassador of Haiti to England and France. And that's another thing that makes me very happy (laughs) to be here today because I think he was um, an African man basically because his parents were from Africa and he was ambassador to England in the mid 19th century. That is uh, an interesting little story to add to this. The part about surrealism, I'm not really Uh, sure how it's connected but I know that Haitians are not (laughs) realists, and and, uh, we are all about uh, visions and uh, and dreams and how uh, spirits communicate with us so that is maybe what is relevant Mm -hmm. in this story.
2: Well I I think actually that's that's actually one of that is part of the connecting the umbilical cord that I think connects it, although it's a complicated umbilical cord. I mean, Wendy, do you, do you, what's your...?
5: Um, I think what Axel what has drawn attention to in talking about the indigenous movement is really important, this um, kind of cultural and political movement that happens in Haiti um, in response to the American occupation, which happens from 1915 to 34, The kind of groundwork that that lays for the creation of the saint d'art which is then able to nurture... Um, and support um, and recognise this group of artists from lower class, if we want to talk about class backgrounds, who who wouldn't have had been recognised in that way. Um, Otherwise, that's kind of a key context and something. If we're looking at this period of Haitian art, that's a key context to draw out. Um, The idea of talking about it as a black surrealism is provocative. It draws our attention to this period. Um, It's a kind of an opportunity and a way in. but I think it's a question of when we start to talk about different labellings, and I think you're right that we want to move away from that whole host of labels that we used before that were popularised by um, dealers like Selden and Rodman. Um, it raises an important set of questions about, you know, what is the narrative framing that we want to give to this work? What's it going to tell audiences? What's it going to point them towards? What interpretations will it prompt? What questions is it going to raise and what impact is it going to have on commercial trajectories, international attention, etc.? You know, when, when we're kind of thinking about how we can how we can f- collectively name uh, a body of artists' works, it raises all of those questions. And I think kind of moving towards black surrealism is pointing us towards the perspective of Breton. It's not necessarily yes, point, yes. pointing us towards the perspective of these artists. Um, and so there's a problematics there about. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where the power lies and what the narrative is around these artists works um, and for Breton you know I think what he finds so attractive about these artists at this moment you mentioned that he arrives in Haiti um, Christmas 1945 after he's been in exile during World War II um, and the way that he describes Haitian art and um, the first work that he sees of, of Hippolyte is actually an adoration of the Virgin Mary which he kind of talks very effusively about how it's this joyful artwork and it reminds him of buttercups and all this kind of imagery he uses. And I think the crucial thing there is that remembering where Breton was at that moment, coming mm-hmm. out of the back of World War II, the kinds of trauma of those experiences, this is his perspective on Haitian art. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we la- relabel it a black surrealism, we're framing it in that way and I think we have to be very aware of that.
2: You say, well, I think that's very true and actually part of the reason of calling it that or calling the talk that, um, is to wonder whether that's a better label, a worse label, or maybe just it's a quite way, it's a good way to lubricate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I found standing in Free's Masters mm-hmm. that surrealism is the link, but I agree with you, it could be perceived as a colonial way in, although I think I, I talked with a writer called Maria Clara Bernal, and we mm-hmm. said Breton would have said, use my name if it helps. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's many realities exist at the same time. I mean, Leo, Leo I, I always get <laughs> Leah, Leah. Leah introduced me to a, uh, in Haiti to a, a community of art makers, and it actually really is about not lower class, but social divisions, and so much material, the, the vibrant material in Haiti seems to come from the street and not from the high rise. I mean, what was your perspective on Wendy's position? And um, I mean, I think what
1: always really interested me about Haitian art is something that, in a way, I'm finding something I can't find in Britain anymore, which is um being, you know, zones of production from the majority class. And you know, I mean, I did, um, I had a research grant to travel around the Caribbean, and we never, ever really kind of found the same thing. These, there's a lot of zones, as Axel, and Axel has been, you know, one of the, you know, main supporters of all these zones of production, and I. I mean, a lot of the things I was planning to say have already been said, of course, about, you know, the kind of, the, you know, the American invasion and how that kind of, in a way, turned a lot of the sort of art producers to looking at their own sort of peasant culture and realizing the, the richness of this voodoo imaginary. So I would immediately say I can see why Haitian art is interesting to surrealists, but to actually label it a black surrealism, I mean, I think it, it's an interest and they can see parallels with their own interests. But it comes from a very, very different place, and it comes from this kind of voodoo imaginary. And I think what... The question for me is, you know, when you have uh, authors like Jacques Roman, who is a kind of Marxist novelist, he kind of wrote Masters of the Jew, where... So then the peasant became, in a way, a kind of... uh, You know, a a subject matter, but... um, there's some point at which the peasants and the majority class stopped being the subject matter and became the producers. And this, for me, is a really, really important moment. And I definitely think the Sunt was really kind of central to that. But I think there was other things. There was um, when Lesko was president. So we're talking about this Mm. period of the 40s and 50s. Lesko was president, and he was the president after the the Americans had gone, but he was considered in a way a kind of puppet president. Mm. And he kind of, he had a huge, like him with the Catholic church, they they just kind of led a scourge on sort of voodoo, and they were cutting down the sacred trees, they were destroying the temples. Now, if you consider that every voodoo temple is in a way a kind of its own, it's like its own art school. Mm -hmm. You have the plastic arts, you have music, you have dancing, you have drumming, you have singing, you're painting the, the insides, you're creating these sort of sculptural, ritual objects. Now, all of a sudden, you have this point at which there's an awful lot of skilled artists, and actually the places where they worked have been destroyed. And then you have Estime takes power, and then he decides to kind of try to open Haiti up to tourism. So then you've got a market, and so you have this, and then you've got the Sandart, and you have this... Fantastic sort of coalescence of uh, of happenings, which I think in a way sort of take a, take from this well of sort of the voodoo imaginary, and started creating this art, which I, I think was of course of great interest to surrealists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if it. I wouldn't say that the impulse itself was a surrealist impulse because surrealism, in a way, I feel was a kind of very European reaction to industrialization, to urbanization, to all the kind of nightmares of the the beginnings of the 20th century. I don't know.
4: I want to go back to something you said. I really think that Haitian culture was created in voodoo temples and the revolution was fomented and brewed in... The voodoo service, and the, yeah. with the connection with voodoo, because that is the core of Haitian culture, whether you're a voodoo or not. This is where, because when when people were brought in from Africa, they were brought in from different parts of Africa on purpose to prevent them from communicating with each other, because since there were 20 black people for one white person in Haiti at the time, mm-hmm. Uh, the colonizers were terrified of the idea of these black masses rebelling against them. So they made sure that they picked people from different places. So when the Africans arrived in Haiti, there was a situation where they couldn't communicate with each other. French people spoke, also spoke different languages. Then you had Spanish occupation and you had English occupation right. because you always had English on on the coast, some English. Mm -hmm. So all of this together made it important for people to create a new culture because what did they have in common? Nothing. So this is very important because where do you do that? Well, the Mm voodoo temples that did not exist at that time, but there were voodoo communities recreating something. Mm -hmm. And they integrated all of this. And Creole was created then. It's a language to communicate. And in Creole, you have English, you have African, you have uh, Taino language, you have Spanish, and you have French. So this is all of it together. I think that is what Haitian culture is and where it was created. And to this day, uh, the voodoo communities are extremely important. And I think that they're the ones that fuel what is unique and interesting about
2: Haitian culture. I mean, I, I often, when people, I, I don't speak Creole, but I, I can understand what people are saying. And it's clearly the Yiddish of the Caribbean. It's something that's pulled together. I mean, in, in my point of view, it's pulled together all these different influences. And the idea of the temples as, as the original centre d'ars that existed all around the island, I think is very important. It's not just the Catholic church clamping down on local belief systems in Haiti. This happened right across Africa and and very complex um, belief systems resulted, uh, for example, when the British um, outlawed, uh, I can't remember where it was now, but rit- ritual beliefs and Mau Mau started. So voodoo, voodoo is, For me fascinating because of its origin but clearly it isn't what it's publicly perceived as. So the other thing I I want to, or not publicly perceived as, but certainly what it came to be known for or perceived in in popular culture. And I I want to turn to you, John, on that. Mm. But I should also just preface that by saying one of the fascinating discoveries for me was that Hector Hippolyte... not only was he a Hougain a sort of priest, but he also did the Vevers. And he illustrated the book, uh, which is by Milo Masler, who's the brother of Philip Toby Masler, who had co-discovered, so to speak, Hippolyte. And it's filled with illustrations of Vevers by Hippolyte, Illustre de Hector Hippolyte. So this very close interrelation between temples, um, cultural activity there, visual, musical, and otherwise, and then the saint springing up I find fascinating. So, John, do you have?
3: Well, I could say a lot about the, this, the construction of voodoo and the transformation of voodoo, but uh, I, if I can just speak directly to um, a few, few issues that have raised, because I've got a kind of few things. First, I just want to point to the title of, the, of this talk, and I know you're sort provisional. You reach for this question mark, the birth of black surrealism. I just want to sort of do a critical art theory one hundred and one, which is which I tell my students: whatever you do, if you're going to use a birth metaphor make sure that there's some women artists at least involved in the show, or that there's some kind of, because the a show entirely of men. Most of the institutions are organized by men. The art world is still economically dominated by men, despite the fact that there's far more representation of women within the institutions of art. There's more women art students, but it's always the men, etc. So birth metaphors are a problem simple art theory stuff. <laughs> Secondly, in the context of black surrealism, and the question of black surrealism, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an attenuated problem to do with notions of primitivism and race that were around in the 1920s and 30s. And if you think about someone like William Seabrook, who's a bit of a kind of, you know, um, he wrote The Magic Island. You know, people don't like Seabrook, but he, you know, he did introduce, you know, the world to voodoo popular audiences, and he wrote quite importantly about it. But, you know, here we talk about Africa as the mother of all mysteries. And there's images of um, Haitians sucking on the breasts of mother Africa. So there's a lot of birth metaphors and maternal metaphors and umbilicals. I think we've got to be very careful about this kind of language, especially given the context. So that's just one of... But I'm not... So my... If I was to, you know, name the talk, I'd have called it (laughs) Capturing the Soul of Black Haiti, in inverted commas. And maybe so. maybe... But... um, I have a lot to say, I won't say too much, but I, I'm just going to go to the this question of blackness. is obviously hugely important because at the time of the Harlem Renaissance and the, the so-called Haitian Renaissance, the concept of black, blackness was being reconfigured significantly, uh, specifically by Aimé Césaire and Leopold Senghor and the Negritude Movement, who were transforming a European colonial and racist conception of race, blackness, which had been constructed through directing relationship to slavery. Uh, and an affirmative self-definition of a a political sensibility, negritude. And Haiti is a super important place for that, precisely because after Dessalines declared the Republic independent, he said everybody is now black, regardless of their colour. So black was a political subjectivity. It was the first announcement of blackness as a political subject, which is why Aimé Césaire would call uh, Haiti was the place where negritude stood on its two feet for the first time. So what's happening around this question of surrealism and blackness at this time is a, is a negotiation of, of African ancestry. So these are the kind of issues that are at stake here around blackness. And on the one hand, black they're still negotiating a racist colonial notion of blackness. Voodoo was considered black magic. Uh, it was called, considered magie noire, not, not magie negre. And this question of the negre and the noir is sort of important here. And some of the romance of the, of the people at Breton had still to do with these ideas of an African primitivism, it's been called romantic racism. So I don't want to talk too much about that, but I would just say, and I could do the rehearsal, why the male may not be surrealist, but I think you need to contrast the black surrealism of uh, the um, indigenous Haitian <laughs> artist from the Moon Andeo? Ondeo, uh, And the cosmopolitan surrealist. So in 1945, uh, Wilfredo Lam, who's one of the... Figures who would later talk about his art being decol- his painting was about decolonization, was reclaiming his sense of African identity from Cuba, even though he was mixed race. And this negotiation with an ancestral Africa that artists like Wilfredo Lam were dealing with, and also Emmy Césaire were dealing with their Africa, the Africanness within. And uh, Ashilam Bembe has called this a well of fantasies for both white and black artists in the 1920s and 30s, by which Africa became a kind of fantasy. For a kind of primordial yes. sense of the unconscious. And Césaire would say this that when Césaire went into his unconscious, and he was partly surrealist, not entirely, I mean, he didn't really fully identify. Breton apparently found, returned to my native land uh, in Martinique on his first trip there. Um, there was this accessing the unconscious. So there's already a kind of negotiation of an unconscious Africa within that Césaire and um, Lamb were negotiating. But it comes back to this question of class again, and uh, the, that in Haiti, race and class, or colour and class, are intimately interwoven. And, le, and, and the cosmopolitan elites were largely uh, Milat, uh, European educated, Paris, you know, uh, Lamb had tra- travelled in uh, Spain, was c- c- friends with Picasso, he fought in report, et cetera. So there was a difference, and, and the show in Centedar, in, in of Lamb's work in 1945, which Andre Breton came to, which I think was the first time he came to Haiti, was on the invitation of Pierre Mabille, you had the, the um, uh, primitive artists on the ground floor and the cosmopolitan moderns yes. on the top floor. And there was, according to Le Grace Benson, who said that, that there wasn't really that much communication, partly because the modern cosmopolitans were speaking French and the, the locals were speaking Creole.
4: Everybody in Haiti speaks Creole. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the internationals
3: though. I'm talking about Breton, Lam, oh. Mabille, the, the international okay. surrealists that uh, weren't, and even though everybody in Haiti does speak Creole not everybody chooses to speak Creole in certain circumstances and French is spoken. I
4: have a little problem with Le Grace's appreciation of these kinds of things because of course when the Centre d'Art was founded it was founded by a group of bourgeois artists and intellectuals and uh, the Peters. but immediately what became important at the Centre d'Art were the peasants and the Village communities and these are the artists who became immediately the most important artists of the Centard. So the story of the ground floor and the top floor really annoys me, because it's a detail in this story. Mm-hmm. And it keeps being brought back when people should realize how revolutionary it was at the time to take people from all over the countryside, the poorest the people who didn't have a voice and make them the star of something that was, that was immensely important at the time. Mm-hmm. And the same thing was happening with music because you had Kers Himidor who made the voodoo repertoire known by every child in Haiti mm-hmm. because they took these voodoo songs and made them, created a choir, yeah. again, mostly formed by bourgeois people, singing mm-hmm. this repertoire Because it is what Haitian culture is. If you are interested in Haitian culture, no matter what your background is, you can be mistaken and think that the most bourgeois painter in Haiti is the important one. But the reality is that in Haiti, culture is created by the mass. Yeah. And,
3: uh, yeah, I think the point I'm trying to make about that, and it's, it isn't necessarily, there is a class question and a race question in Haiti, which is inevitable and it's, uh, it's evident to everybody who goes there and, you know, so I yes, just wanted to repeat that. the
4: point of view of somebody, of a foreigner, it's much more evident and I see this time and time again, mm. when I read even the best books about Haiti, is a foreigner always sees the colour difference between this person and that person and immediately thinks that it has an importance in the story they are telling. Of course, I'm not saying it does not exist.
5: Mm-hmm. What I'm
4: saying is that, for instance, for me, I never notice the difference if a person is slightly darker or lighter, I never see it.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, a person from my family might see it. It's a personal thing. Some mm-hmm. people are totally colorblind, but uh, it is more, evident for somebody from a white country who mm-hmm. comes to Haiti. All these distinctions Then somebody who was raised in Haiti and is used to seeing masses of black people or dark people. Yeah. And that's what they're used to.
3: Yeah. As I, I, to I bring it up mainly because the politics of race were central to the, the Negritude movement, to Césaire. To no, no, I'm not saying it so does right. not exist. And, uh, the politics of that. race in Haiti are very specific yes. and I think there was think a romantic should, racism I, on the part of Europeans well, who went to Haiti and saw the black soul of
2: Haiti in, the, in, in these artists. I think, I, I think I'm going I'm to interrupt because I, I think they're both valid points and I think one of the things I feel in Haiti is, you know, like a Philip K. Dick novel, you know, many realities exist. Um, I I think there's a few points that that I just want to bring up, the simple points, because I'm the simplest. Um, um, One is that, you know, the island to the outside, I see a lot. I look at a lot of work from different places. So, of course, you have the hotbed of the island and then you have the rest of the world. I can assure you that when you walk around Haiti, nowhere else exists in the world. Uh, uh, it's very clear, if you live in Haiti, you're very focused on the island. It's, it's a very, it's a very strong identity. Um, the other thing that's interesting is the Sandra Dar story to me, echoes other so-called outsider art type stories where an individual or a community enable people to look beyond the confines of what they might call art. And I, I do want to support um, Axel a little bit on that. I think all the political aspects are true. Um, the, the literary community, if we call it that, is clearly existing at the time this is going on and they're all interrelated. But I, being someone who's object-led, um, the materiality, I think, is what leads. And I think the, the brilliance of, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's DeWitt-Peters, maybe it was only DeWitt-Peters after his communication with the artistic community in Haiti, but his, uh, his decision, or the decision, to enable all this making on the island and give it privilege and a platform, and then the things that followed as a result of, of bringing it together and enabling people to create and giving them self-respect as artists. And I see, the, I see the materiality of it. I'm looking at this work 60, 70 years later, and it's astonishing. I walk around my little booths with great pride because I'm representing something that's very real. Well,
3: can I just say something about sure. that? I mean, first thing is um, it's, it's documented that uh, both um, uh, Selden Rodman and uh, the Whit Peters Discouraged uh, Haitian artists from adopting modern styles. It was okay. there was a there was a deliberate attempt to to, co- to create a Haitian primitivism because it was more popular for foreign markets. That's why the center that it was successful. People wanted Haitian primitivism. They wanted yes. they didn't want the artists to be doing cubism. They didn't want them to be following European models. So there's something quite disingenuous about uh, idealizing that kind of primitivism, mm-hmm. but, but also wanting to keep Haitians doing a certain style that was popular for markets. This is why the problematic of the so-called primitive masterpiece. So Selden Robman would encourage artists not to take up modern styles, but at the same time and say that what was great about Haitian artists from the from the countryside, the voodoo artists, was that they weren't trained, they weren't corrupted, which is very surrealistic, they weren't corrupted by the academy. At the same time, when he bought a painting, he would call it a masterpiece, so, oh. uh, you know. Well, this
2: is no different from actually Jean de Buffet, who, um, you know, ghettoizes the artists he finds, insists they remain primitive, untrained, untaught. Quite. It's exactly the same. Selden Rodman, I think, is a really problematic character. But I wouldn't necessarily say the same of DeWitt Peters. But in the end, I, I turn back and I say, in the history of the outsiderism, there are all these angel devil people who do a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Selden Rodman is the guy who took Haitian art, i, I would my short version, to America and really popularized it, but he's also the guy who coined the term popular art, who primitivized it, and who, who basically turned it into a commodity. But the primitivizing, I think one's got to be specific. I think one's got to look at the artists. So you, you know, if I look at the, the artists that we're showing, mm. I don't think they've been primitivized, certainly not the key artists. They are within their own style, projecting their own style and doing their own thing. And there is a good example of, of certain artists looking to Europe, getting enthusiastic about different formats and not necessarily succeeding. I, I, from my own aesthetic perspective, don't love the work that mimics the movements of the West because I think there's organic flow with artists. But I, I did want to, can I just there was something I wanted I to talk like about to, race to, to, yeah. I want to so talk
4: ahead. about the Haitian artist now, and I'm sure I will agree with you. I think it's very hard to make a Haitian artist do something else than what they want to do. They are very <laughs> hard-headed people. Sorry. They have very strong personalities, yeah. and I don't think outside influence to this day is very important to them.
3: Mm.
4: It's you know. I was talking specifically,
3: specifically about the markets and the construction. No, no, of markets I
4: understand what you're talking yeah. about, but I'm saying at the same time, mm-hmm. when you look at this and when yeah. you look at what's being produced, today, yeah, yeah. What you see is very strong personalities of people who do exactly what they want to do, Mm. and influence is very unimportant really. I mean, it Mm -hmm. exists. They live in a world where communication exists. They use their phones, they're on the internet, Mm. and all of that, but to this day, they have their own vision of what. Because Haitian culture is very strong and infused in every one of us Haitians, from birth, in our environment, this is what we know best. So, and it gives us the strength to really resist. Mm-hmm. Because, well, I mean, you know, artist resistance exactly. says it all. Mm-hmm. So Asian I, culture is about resisting to outside influence, to, uh, to colonialism, to, um, you know, the American mm-hmm. culture, invasion of the world, and all of those things. And a lot of times it is used, but it is not really integrated or maybe it is re-imagined.
5: Re, um, mm. It's so. not just about though what, what the content of the artwork is, I think what John's saying about like the transference of practices from, i building on what Leo was saying before, from kind of maybe practicing and creating objects that are re- related to, um, voodoo practice to a commercial form that can mm-hmm. be transported. The actual materiality of, of creating work on a canvas, you know, that's something that the Centre the d'Art with Peter's, Robman you know, mm-hmm. would have encouraged, whether they're encouraging of what course. the actual what the actual uh, content of the work is, the encouragement to produce a Digital certain painting. form of art yes. is crucial, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the narrative that they construct around that, you know, Rodman yeah. is yes. um, in charge of this short-lived, Haitian Art Center, which is a commercial affiliate of the Sons Pedar, from 48 to 51 Mm -hmm. in New York City. And he he stations that within um, Julius Carlebach's gallery, which is a haunt of Dardarists and Surrealists and feeds into that whole Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, um, Haitian art as they, Robin would have labeled it as primitive art, Mm -hmm. um, as a source material for modernists, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when we start talking about black surrealism, you're kind of skirting over that dynamic of where where the impetus for labelling that way is coming from.
2: But there is a movement at that time. So, you know, you're talking about a period of time in the United States in particular, where Alfred Barr, the Museum of Modern Art, is looking at other formats. And in fact, Alfred Barr ended up losing his job because the other formats were more interesting to him than the formats he knew. You know, that's the same guy who put William Edmondson in a show in 1936.
5: Right, but it's interesting because Alfred Barr, I mean, Seldon Robman, if you look at the Museum of Modern Art archives, there are letters between DeWitt Peters and Seldon Robman, Rennie Darnancourt and Alfred mm-hmm. Barr, where they're basically agreeing, agreeing the terminology to be used around Haitian art in that period. It's saying, will you buy this artwork from us? And we'll play it up to the hills for all the publicity we can get. And we're gonna call it primitive, we're gonna call it popular. Yeah, yeah. And yes. they kind of, you know, corroborate each other, really. It's yeah. like But it's
2: interesting. I would say Alfred Barr is, from just my perspective, Alfred Barr is doing that as a benevolent voice who gets it wrong with his labeling, where Selden Rodman is clearly an opportunist and using the labeling. I mean Alfred Barr was interesting because of his commitment. Mm-hmm. And it's not about colour, it's actually about class. Mm-hmm. So this issue of class and 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 other stories that can be told in a cultural context, I think are, are part of what this is. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't wanna, you know, my, my point of talking about surrealism was more what, you know, I should just verify, it. it's not to deny any of this, um, these stories. It's more to say actually there was a point when the person who had really identified a surrealist tendency and the, 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 a way of looking at the world Saw something phenomenal within the material itself, and it's not to say that it denies it its Haitianness or its identity anywhere else, but that <coughs> it, to to lift it, to have this discussion, mm-hmm. to be provocative. I mean,
1: I, yes. Yeah. I mean, I would just also like to say that within this discussion, it's starting to appear that the only art that's ever been created in Haiti was in the '40s, <laughs> and I do want to say that this has continued. And and as Axel, we would. I just curated a show in New York and it's all contemporary artists. Mm-hmm. And and talking about, you're saying, like, on influenced, I mean, when I met Artist Resistance, you know, if you think of like people making art where they're considering the market, they're making like forty foot sculptures which are probably oh, yes. twice the size of the <laughs> <laughs> houses they live in. Yeah. They're not thinking about yeah, how, exactly. one, you, how anyone can fit that in the kind of overhead compartment in the aeroplane. <laughs> so, you know, the market isn't sort of that well considered, yeah. um, I think. And I think I just sort of, just got to kind of just bring the, the, the conversation in a way back to the art. I mean, I co-curated a show at Notting Contemporary, um, Carrefour, and Alex Farquharson was saying for him he wanted to try and make a case of why Haitian art should be relevant to our art- artists now. And he was kind of looking in a way a lot of sort of tropes of post- um, postmodern art, you know, and this the, the appropriation of, of symbolism. I mean, when uh, slaves, the, the enslaved Africans were brought to Haiti, they were kind of, in a way, made to convert to Catholicism. And so they sort of took the chromolithographs of the saints and then immediately, really, in a way, immediately redefine them as voodoo spirits. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's this sort of slippage of symbolic uh, language that, uh, you know, really does link with a lot of sort of contemporary art practice. And, and sort of, you know, the, the total slippage of, of symbol and, and a sort of like a symbolic code. I mean, I, you know, and I've been to a, a voodoo temple where I've seen Bart Simpson on the temple. Now, I mean, you know, whatever kind of symbolic slippage that was, I mean, I never got got to actually ask why, but and you know, and I've seen an awful lot of Natasha Kinsky's, but yeah, I don't understand great. that one <laughs> because there's a famous pa- the famous photograph um, by Avdon of Natasha Kinsky naked with a huge python wrapped around yes. her, mm. and of course, this is the ideal thing for a voodoo priest that wants really good looking woman on the altar and it's in the, in the end for Dambala, the snake spirit. So this kind of... And also it's the appropriation of popular culture into a different sort of symbolic language, which also for me really relates to sort of... Um, and also a existed lot of from
4: the beginning because yes. that's what people had to do. They came with nothing. So, so how do you create a culture without appropriating things from other places and this is why resistance is easy too, because you're used to taking this and making it yours. So it's, it's very much a part of what Haitian culture is from the beginning. Yes. It's always been that. And people are not afraid in Haiti of using something that comes from another place. They're not afraid of influence because it really does not exist that much. I'm not saying that it does not exist at all but in the masses because they were isolated for a long time also. So they had time to create their own, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Everything, when I was growing up in Haiti as a child, everything was made in Haiti. Every single thing we used, except maybe for China and glasses and things that we couldn't produce. But every single thing we used in our environment was made in Haiti. So, it's, um, you know, we recreated our own country and our own world and our own language and everything else. So, foreign influence, to me, I don't, I Mm -hmm. spent half of my life away from Haiti. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I'm very much a product of Haitian culture, even though I'm also a citizen of the world. But the
2: most important part to me of who I am is my Haitian-ness and my Haitian culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I'm, uh, I'm interested how that relates. I mean, w- we're lucky enough to be have, a, have an exhibition here of, of one of the artists, Robert St. who who you know, does have this very unusual material, if you see, if you see the work, these spirits that he's painting. is also a Hougain, so falls into the cliché. Uh, but I, but, and, and, and there are also narratives related to him of he discovered Impressionism and then he started to paint. Um, but actually, I was quite interested in what you said about Bart Simpson, because I'm wondering how, you know, we're here at the 154, and that's the Contemporary African Art Fair. And I, did, I saw a link on why I thought that this material was relevant, and why I thought that Haiti was relevant to contemporary African making. And actually, Bart Simpson is my way in, um, because I, I, I'm old, and I was in New York when the Simpsons first appeared on TV. And I remember within a few episodes, you'd walk along 6th Avenue and the only t-shirt you could buy was Black Bart. And Black Bart became a huge cultural hero And for like six months. There was like, it was just absolutely adopted by the, by, by, by New York City. And I, I guess I'm wondering, and I mean, I'm, maybe I'd, I do want to look to you How does it, how does it, how does this connect? How do we find a line and put Haiti out, take Haiti a bit outside of Haiti and put it within a wider cultural context.
3: John.
1: Mm. Well, <laughs> it's it, it, interesting
3: because I would go in the opposite direction and just to counter the Bart, or just as a, as a maybe yeah. there's a, you know, a counter Bart you know, would be, you know, the, <laughs> the, you know and uh, one of the images that I selected was Aubin's portrait of uh, Madame Antonin Fermo. Fermin. Mm. I don't know the proper name, Fermat? Fermat? Firmin, <laughs> uh, uh, Anton Firmin, uh, F-I-R-M-I-N, and you know it's important because this question of blackness and the Africanness of Haitian identity, this was something that was already well established within Haitian cultural life by the end of the nineteenth century. So Antoinette Firmin started the first Pan-African meeting gathering in London mm. in 1902. He wrote on the uh, equality of the human races in the 1880s, a, a, a riposte against Gobineau, the, the French race theorist. You know, and he was an influence on Jean-Paul Mars, Very direct and strong. So you have a very, very rich cultural intellectual history in Haiti of already knowing what blackness mm-hmm. is, knowing about the links to, to Africa, that way preceded the kind of anti-colonial politics of the Surrealists in the 1930s and the 30s. So Haiti had its own culture already before the Surrealists arrived, a culture of resistance, a history of revolutionary resistance, yeah. and of course Voodoo, which was alive and kicking. They and put thriving. up uh,
5: Simon Bolivar in Jacques yeah. yeah, And the, the thing that I, I, I w- would want to say to build on that is we can't presume that Haiti isn't already out there, you know, mm. in, other, in other routes and trajectories. Um, I've been doing a study which I'm, I'm going to be publishing in the next couple of years, which is looking at the history of Haiti's presen- presences at World's Fairs mm-hmm. from the 19th century, where Haitian politicians, Haitian cultural professionals are framing what Haiti is about, what the Haitian nation is, what their products are. It's commercial, but it's also to do with Haitian culture and heritage. There are big art displays within those exhibitions, and there's a history of that right back to the, to the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So there are other narratives about ways to to frame Haitian art that are out there, and I think Mm -hmm. what we have to be aware of, um, quickly to just talk about, in this period in uh, the 1940s, 50s, there's a major international exposition that happens in Port-au-Prince in Haiti, um, under the Dumas Celestimé government, Um, and because the popular art of the the centre d'art has already been kind of almost co-opted into these market networks internationally as primitive art, it undercuts its value as a, as a natural, nat- national cultural product. and mm. estimate doesn't commission any of That's those right. artists to produce large works for that exposition. He c- instead commissions some of the artists who've been trained abroad, who, who he pe- perhaps trusts more that they have the training than the skill for whatever reason. The recognition internationally, their education internationally, seems to, to provide more of an assurance to them that they're going to produce in a certain way. Um, but we have to be aware that whatever narrative we create around a group of artists can undercut its value mm, mm. domestically, you know, can have that kind of impact. So I think we have to be mm. really careful about, about the way in which we talk about a body of artists' works, that it's not going to have that impact, that kind of actually prevents it from, from having the same value where it's from, from being a kind of local source of importance.
2: I mean, I think, I think you know... It's it's tricky because also I'm looking because I am looking predominantly at the forties and fifties and there was a reason why I wanted to stick with that period because I thought it was the least affected by the market. I do think the market had a negative influence in my personal opinion on mm. some of the artists who were making and then the newer artists who came in came in with an eye to the market and then there was obviously the commercial exit. Well
3: DeWitt Peters and Selden Rodman had to a large extent already selected the artists which were going to be the best representatives of the Great. of the of the Haitian masterpieces. Yeah. And uh, you know and not to say you know O'Baum Hippolyte fantastic mm-hmm, artists, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. no doubt you know no question about that, but they, they were very antithetical to the tourist market that emerged very shortly afterwards. By 1953, right. there were tourist markets,
2: yeah. uh, tourist
3: mm. painting. And at the end of Rodman's book, The Miracle of Haitian Art, he's kind of very concerned because how do you differentiate between the work of the masters who were being copied? And it's one of the, also the great things about Haiti. Someone invents something, it will be copied. <laughs> yes. Immediately you know, and <laughs> <be> Immediately, right? <laughs> so uh, Lyotard's, you know, um, so, so metal works are, you know, the, you know, they they were copied very quickly. Yeah, but there's
4: two things. There there are people with no talent who copy, but there are people who use the same techniques and are influenced or trained by these artists who create their own stuff. Mm -hmm. So you have two things going on. You have a mass market of products that are not art, that are copies of whatever exists, and that existed way back. Mm -hmm. And you have people, uh, communities, learning from each other which mm-hmm. you've seen going away mm-hmm. today, which you saw in Quade Bouquet. Yes. In Quade Bouquet, what happened is that uh, 20 years ago, when I worked with the people there, you still had artists. And even people who were more like craftspeople, they still had some artistic abilities of creating their own work. But then mm-hmm. you had organizations, <laughs> you had craft organizations who came in and uh, focused on the mass market. Mm. And the minute I saw that, I knew it would have a terrible impact. And when you go to Coyote Bouquet today, there's almost no artists left, except older ones, mm-hmm. because they lived at a time when they were not forced to mass-produce these goods. Yeah.
3: So but the, the problem is the, the elite market versus the mass market. Of course, the elite market, which is where there's one or two great artists who earn a lot of money from their sales to American collectors, who, which isn't that much, let's face it, you know, Hector Hippolyte sold the painting of Papa Zacca and Papa Ogu for $8 to Andre Breton, which I think you know of, is that correct? Um,
2: no. <laughs> okay. No, but we have we, we have got other Andre Breton works in the show. Okay. Which is quite, which has been quite interesting. I mean, I'm not going to. I think it's a great painting. It's yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah.
3: It's a super, it's a super important painting. And voodoo painting. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, bought by Breton for eight dollars. But at that time, you
4: pro- probably could buy a house in Haiti for eight dollars too.
3: Yeah, right, quite. But what I'm so, trying to get at, suppose, <laughs> by the mass market and the and the elite market, is of course that a few Haitian artists earn a lot of money, some money from this, and did very well and sent their children to school. But, of course, what's, if you see that happening, you go, well, actually, we need to send our kids to school too. And if they're doing it by making these kinds of works, we're going to make those kinds of works too. It's yeah, a logical absolutely, consequence absolutely. of a, an elite market for a mass market to emerge because yeah. people want to sell to live, to survive. I, I think that's so also reflective of the elite of, market and the mass market yeah. feels slightly disingenuous to me yeah. in terms of these issues.
2: But it's, it's also the realities of art. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. in the thick of an art fair, we're discussing this in the middle of art fairs, there's an art fair upstairs. If you don't sell, you haven't had a good fair. You can't just do a fair for exhibiting only. And we're showing works that aren't for sale and people get the hump. And why are we not, you know, why are we not selling them? Because we're trying to, well, some people don't want to sell. We wanted to make a point. We wanted to communicate the idea to people who have no idea who Hippolyte Aubin are. But at the same time, we want to make sure they go to good homes and and that they're seen and they're not squirrelled away by the Haitian art collectors who hid them in their front rooms for however many years because there's a history to write. So I think all the complexities, they're fascinating because they're real, they're problems to chew on. Mm -hmm. And the issue of the mass market versus the minor market versus commercialism versus, you know, I wouldn't call people the master artists, but people who are really astonishing makers with individual stories to tell. That's, that's the thing that, for me, is the most important. Like any of the work here at the fair, you know, you'll walk into someone's stand and you'll go, that's incredible, and that will draw you in, and you want to know about that maker. And I, I always return to that point because I think that's safer for me. It's easier for me because then I don't have to tread on the difficult ground. But also, I think it's the one which leads the way in the end. Because all the narratives come through. If we can get, look, if I if I can persuade, I'm going to be really frank. If I can persuade Tate to acquire a work by a Haitian artist of this period, that's a major step forward. But that, I, mean, that, I mean,
5: remember that, in New York, does already have. Sorry? we in New York, does already. Yes, and
2: Anne papers. Temkin, the curator at New York, when, when Donald Trump started talking about shithole countries, mm-hmm. she told me. She said, I took the work that was in my office, because mm-hmm. she loved this work so much, mm-hmm. and she said, I stuck it on the wall. Mm-hmm. And she did the same with William Edmondson. And mm-hmm. but the the you know, the narratives changed very, very slowly by committee with you know. Mm-hmm it's it's a, it's a very slow ship so the the you know there's also the other point i think maybe is relevant is is you know if one's going to be an advocate for the material how do you contain all this complexity which really is mm-hmm. you know there but yet we're all advocates so how do we channel that to a point a bit like a bit like you know the contemporary african has i remember i, I was quite inspired by a big contemporary african show in italy but it's taken 10 years for it to start to mature and we start to see people really taking that work seriously and curating it within the wider art context. Uh, do, 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 do we want to open it up? Does anyone have questions to ask us? Because that would be good, I think. Nobody has questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, usually takes, no. it usually takes a while for people to... Yeah. I, 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 we, we can wait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. If,
1: oh, Anybody got a question because I was going to just fill in a bit of time otherwise. <laughs> oh, there we go. I mean, this,
6: uh, I'm doing that really irritating.
5: Does a microphone just come? I'm
6: actually yeah I'm doing that really irritating thing I'm sort of not asking a question but saying something, a comment. Yeah, a comment. you can put a que- you, know, you can an an put a question mark question.
2: at the end like I did. Exactly. <laughs> so.
6: I will do. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Basically, with the Bart Simpson thing, um, I think as you say, you see, you saw the Natasha Kinsky images of her um, maybe as a representation of Dambala, And then you see um, Darth Vader as well, I think, quite a lot as um, Baron Samadhi. And I would have thought that somebody like Bart Simpson would just be a translation of kind of the trickster god or the crossroads god. So, that's true, yes. Yeah, I mean, you see <laughs> it <Sure>. a <all> lot. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's not true, not true not but like it's, a, like, it's a good uh, yeah. analogy. Yeah, no, so, so just saying, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love that. I think that's such an incredibly modern thing that Voodoo's always done. Mm. Um, You know, it's just, as you say, just taking those elements and always refreshing them. In fact, um, I think it was in 1993, there was a voodoo ceremony in King's Cross. Where they had like a whole. It's where we met. This is oh, where really? we met. <laughs> oh, I was,
1: was organizing it. Oh, brilliant. And that's how me and John actually oh, know each fantastic. other. Fantastic. Well, was at I,
6: I'm ashamed that. to say I wasn't there for the sort of full nine hours or something that it was. <laughs> so <you> I, <laughs> I got there in the evening. Um, yes. and, uh, and, and I was really, really struck. They had those amazing um, uh, kind of images of uh, Zuli Frida de Hormen as Princess. Lady die, Lady die, yeah. like yeah. that was just Fantastic. amazing, Fantastic. really, really great, and and again, it was just so incredibly playful because I I I'd, I'd grown up sort of seeing things like um, Divine Horseman and and you sort of even then dated in the past, and then when you see you're coming to a ceremony and it's absolutely of the moment, it's just absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: how long our friendship has been <laughs> since <laughs> since that point.
4: <laughs> well, I, um, as a simple question. Um, we haven't talked at
0: all about um, Haitian artists outside of Haiti mm-hmm. and their
1: contribution to this discussion. I'm thinking about people like Edouard Duval in yeah. Miami and, yeah.
2: Well, well, I, 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 we can talk about Edouard Duval Carrier because, in fact, mm. he, when Lee and I were in Haiti, he was our co-pilot and and the two of them work together on this um, show at Pioneer We co-curated the
1: show that's on in New York at the moment. So, I mean, I think Edouard is a fantastic advocate for Haitian art. And also in a way that his practice relates to a lot of the things I was saying, the symbolism he kind of looks to. Um, cultural roots and voodoo Yes, for and appropriates everything That's right mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he also disrupts mm-hmm. histories which I think is another thing that Haitian art does is that to, to disrupt a historical narrative you know, it, it, in a way Haitian art is asking a lot of questions about who actually who generates history mm-hmm. and who mm-hmm. generates historical mm-hmm. narratives Absolutely. and I find in my I spent a lot of years photographing Carnival in Jacmel. there's a sense that I've, well, this is just my feeling that Haitians, this is what I feel that we've lost in Britain, is the fact that you can own your own history and you can retell mm-hmm. it in whatever way you want, mm-hmm. in whatever symbolic language, and has, as inaccurately as you want. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, and on the streets, so it's on the walls, on the streets, and I certainly think Edouard does that as well. He disrupts mm-hmm. narratives. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I think it's a very important thing that in some ways, Haitian art often seems to me is a continual retelling of a revolutionary history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's telling it and telling it, and again and again in many, many different ways. And I think that's maybe something that we haven't mentioned. <laughs> I, I think it's,
4: it's a bit ir- ir- irreverent, mm-hmm. in yeah. the sense that there's no respect for history or the past or because we, we didn't have... After the revolution, I think, we didn't have... Great rulers or people that we could look up to, but not too many. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, people are free to uh, be revolutionary in their everyday life. Mm. You know, not successfully against the big powers, but in small ways, in and in creation for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of resistance and. and irreverence in the way people work. Mm-hmm.
1: And certainly with Carnival. I mean, you know, the Carnival in Jacques is a million miles away from Rio. I mean, there's like, well, it's probably changing a little bit now. And it's becoming it a is. bit more sequined up. Um, but, you know, it's the, the costumes are like the most affecting, but the cheapest. But I also think this relates to the revolution and something you said earlier, which is Haiti was fighting Napoleon and, and you know, the French forces they had to be fairly scary on a really low budget. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I think they've <laughs> continued. <Absolutely. laughs> <laughs> and you know, I can still see that in Carnival in Jack and
4: you can still see that with a lot of the art. You which know, is, if I can say something yes. about Carnival in Jack Mel, I knew Carnival in Jack Mel when there was no money given to the people, yes. and it was the best. Exactly. Oh. And nowadays, what is killing it a little bit is the fact that the government is giving money but they're always giving money the day before. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. people are expecting the money, but mm-hmm. they have no time to create something wonderful. Mm. And before, they were doing it for themselves. Yeah. They were not doing it for the president who was coming to the official opening of Carnival mm-hmm. or anything like that, because they were not coming. So it was a more... Um, Uh, grassroots thing, and it was absolutely absolutely wonderful. I mean,
2: is the the elephant in the room of your question, um, Basquiat? Because because certainly he's, you know, of any artist of Haitian descent, he's clearly the most successful in our time. I mean, he's one of the most successful artists. I mean, I I didn't intend to speak about it, but I, I know the person who was his dealer at the end of his life, and I can't persuade him that Hippolyte or any of the other artists are relevant to him. And he's a, he's a guy who looks at work from this period and looks at sort of mm-hmm. folk art and things. I mean, does, does, does is Basquiat relevant to this conversation?
3: Yeah, I think so, but I think it raises a very interesting and complex problem around blackness again and, and African ancestry and uh, Haitian ancestry and the diaspora which is the And you know yeah. at what point does the connection to an African ancestry and you know a kind of um, you know because when the Africa within was first kind of th- Thought through in the twenties and thirties, there was an Africa within everybody. Mm. I mean, you could be white. Like Michel Leiris writes *Phantom Africa*, and he's exploring the Africa within. But then there's a kind of question: is the Africa within an ancestral Africa within, or is it a symbolic Africa within? So this question of blackness, Africanness, and you know, who can be seen to be part of that that network of influence? And certainly Basquiat is. In fact, there's been the book that Jana Janelle, uh, has just written about uh, the Gatus resistance is named after the. Basquiat painting "Riding with Death," sure. uh, and she, Jana Evans Braziel, makes a very direct co- connection between uh, Basquiat and these Haitian traditions. But I think you know, it's a, that's a very complex question when mm. who, mm. you know, who and what artistic style and what mode of representation is somehow connected to your African ancestry or your blackness, and, and yeah. who, has, who who, what does it mean to work from a kind of that that sense of some ancestral, mm. yeah, ancestry.
5: Something else that's important to say in talking about diaspora artists like Édouard du Valcaillé is that they're not only artists, they, as you've kind of just said, they also often become curators and kind of uh, a kind of different gateway into other ways to, to, to frame Haitian art and to think about Haitian art and it's an important role that that diaspora artists take up in lots of places, right? In Paris in Miami and Montreal and different kinds of spaces. So there's another role that, that Haitian diaspora artists take up in this kind of circuit.
1: And also Haitian artists, I mean, I think in a way, uh, I mean, in the Caribbean itself, I mean, the, the kind of cultural visual arts ecology is kind of small. So very often you do find in most of the countries that i visited, that the artists have to become the kind of cultural organisers and producers as well, Mm -hmm. on every level, Mm -hmm. so... It's uh, something
5: that you see across the Caribbean, right? It's mirrored in the art world. Mario Benjamin
1: is definitely Mm -hmm. an artist Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a curator, Mm -hmm. Barbara Prezzo. So, you know, this is certainly not, uh, you know, this is not a unique thing. I think it's also a fact that, in a way, a lack of institutions Mm
5: -hmm. forces artists to have to kind of create their own Mm -hmm. institutional
1: platforms.
5: Mm -hmm. And Barbara Prezau has the kind of Africa-America um, kind of network that you, that she you set up. So that there's kind of a pointing us towards different ways to think about it. It doesn't have to go via Europe, necessarily, how we think about this art. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: Oh.
5: <laughs> I have this microphone. Um,
7: and I guess what I have also is a partial question, a partial statement. Um, and I am not an art expert at all, but I have been in and out of Haiti for 37 years and have been buying art continually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess the question part is, this first generation, or what we're calling the first generation, or this generation in the 40s and 50s, which some people call masters, and and I kind of do too as a shorthand, um, again, because I'm not a professional, what do you see when you get to the next generation? So I started going to Haiti in the early 1980s, right? And there was a next generation that Mm -hmm. kind of came through in the 70s and 80s. And that's when I started Mm -hmm. collecting. Do they fit into this discourse that you have about, well, all of this. I mean, it's been very, very complex. I don't want to recharacterize it. you know. And and then the third generation, right? We're moving along. Is it a continuum? Is it a break? What are the influences? Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, just as a comment, getting back to the Bart Simpson and Natasha Ginsky <laughs> and things, which is that the discussion has been very, very serious. And I think one of the joys that I get out of Haitian art is how witty it is mm-hmm. and how clever. And it doesn't just sit on a tableau and sit on the wall, it's on a bus, it's on a tap-tap blaring music. Mm -hmm. It is um, on the side of a building. And that art, which I guess maybe professionals call vernacular, I don't know, um, (laughs) I think is is, is almost as important or maybe as important. And I spend a lot of time over the years taking people to Haiti and convincing people who may not have thought of going to Haiti that maybe that would be an interesting thing to do. and it, most of them really like it, and only one or two have run away screaming, because <laughs> nobody has a neutral reaction. I have to maybe put it that way. But that that convincing is saying, look, it is a culture that is all-encompassing. That it's not just going into the Centre d'Ar or Mumpana yeah. and looking at the classics on the walls. It envelops you the minute you step off the airplane Right, that band is still in the airport after all these years. <laughs> um, and, 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 and it feeds on itself in that way. And I wonder if that relates to the themes that you're talking about as well.
3: You can speak with my expertise, Axel. Well, yeah. I think Axel should really talk about, certainly
1: Saint is Soleil
4: is a kind of important. Yes, I think uh,
1: uh, what happens
4: is that, first of all, Haiti was isolated from the rest of the world for a long time, but also parts of Haiti were isolated from each other. Mm -hmm. So different things developed in different areas. It's a culture that's very much alive and individual. I don't know what the word is in English. It expresses individuality, but also groups of individuals in a context. Mm -hmm. And that's why it continues to exist, because if you look at the reality of Haiti today, it is extremely difficult it is the poorest of the poorest. And people still manage to produce mm-hmm. art and mm-hmm. produce music and produce poetry and, and it's a country mostly literate. And we, have, we had 15 literary prizes, major literary yeah. prizes in the last 15 years. So mm-hmm. there is all of that going on. I think what keeps us alive is our culture and it's everywhere, like you say. It's in everyday objects, it's in, uh, you know, the environment and the sounds that we hear and, and the smells that we smell and the food that we eat. So it is all of that. And that's why going to Haiti is a wonderful experience because until you go, you can see this and it's wonderful, but you don't have a relationship to what it is. So that's what I have to say. I
2: mean, I certainly find I think it is, it is a sort of a Marmite place to visit if you know what that means and 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 I think if you if you think if you're in the audience here and you haven't been and you think you'll like it you will like it and certainly you know I walked into it and I had that exact experience and I was with Leah and I was overwhelmed by how creative and it, and and positive the place was it was not only full of life but positive energy really positive energy and creative energy and so, yeah I think the paintings uh, and certainly these paintings from the 40s and 50s, there's, it's one tiny part of it. But within the context of, you know, that I can go to Freeze masters in particular. I mean, here I really feel I'm amongst friends and I'm just sort of just saying, don't forget Haiti, I'm doing it in a much more gentle way. Mm-hmm. In Freeze Masters, I'm saying, hey, you, look at this, look at this, I've got something very important to tell you that you didn't know, and that's, that's why I'm using Breton, I'm using him, I'm name dropping mm-hmm. in order to kind of prize the door open to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe it, I don't think for a moment that, that Breton liking the work is even more important than me or any of you liking the work. Mm-hmm. What I am saying is he's a, he's a big deal, and through him, we can get a step up, and we can get into the party, and bring Haiti into the party. And if Haiti is in the party, then Haiti's going to have a voice, and it's going to have a voice today for the artists that we. I mean, I, I walked around Port-au-Prince with Leah. It's crazy. There's like an artist, a few people, another artist. He's teaching a couple of kids. The kids that are my favorite picture of the, the came from those kids with the mum giving birth, uh, which which is quite a common theme on Christmas Day, the baby's being held up and it's got the Santa Claus hat on it. You know, it's like, it's alive and it's alive from a very young age. It's very um, inspiring. So I I walked away really with much more confidence for this project, but unless it's quite tough, you know, I, I say by the same count, you know, I've been busy trying to do press. I've been lucky with some people. So like Colin at the Telegraph wrote a really nice piece. It's a right wing paper, but he wrote a very sympathetic piece about the materiality. The woman at the FT decided not to call me. So what did she write about? Earthquakes and naive artists. So it's, it's all about where you come from. And, and do I mind? No, because it's in the FT. And in the end, the headline wasn't bad. So it's a sort of by any means necessary situation, whereby we want Haiti in the conversation. We're already advocates. But I do agree with you. It's really important that it's contemporized. And I, I think, you know, you know, I mean, you three know, you four know much better than me about that.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, Leopold can speak more for artist resistance, but it's clear that the artist resistance, they are aware of the traditions of Haitian art that have preceded them. And there are techniques and methods used, and Pierre, Pierre Barra, or the, the doll, yeah. the sequin, the flags. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the Sans Soleil style, the, all these, the, the Lyotard cutouts, everybody's using those techniques. They're, they're, they're part of the vernacular. I think there's an
4: urge to, to express ourselves in Haiti that really exists within the culture. I think there's a market, and some people are trying to make a living with it. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody expresses themselves in one form or another. It's very part, very much a part of who we are. And Daniela Ferrier told a story that I think is fantastic about he goes to a woman's house, and he sees paintings on the wall. And he says, you know, who, where did you buy this? And she said, well, I didn't have Money to buy, so I made them all myself. She's <laughs> <laughs> not a painter, <laughs> but she wanted Perfect. to have art in her house, and she didn't have money, so she made all. The- right. And this yeah. is something that you know exists in Haiti. I mean, everywhere you see people making things. It's uh, very much a tradition, and I hope it continues to exist. Mm-hmm. And you will still have people who decide that art is, you know. How you know they want to be artists, but you have a number of people who are occasional artists, or who express themselves because you know <coughs> it's part of who they, what they see around them every day, and they will not be be big artists, but they will express themselves through art. And there's one point I should say there. I mean, I, um,
1: my partner is a Haitian artist, so I kind of get to notice this. Is that you know, you, you certainly don't get this in Britain you know, people in the airport the know go, ah, Artisla. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, so it's basically as if you're a doctor or an agronomist. Exactly. It's mm. Artisla. So a, it's, it's, it's... People it's a, are recognised yeah, for their value. He is recognised as his value as a creator of art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you certainly don't get... Well, I don't get that one. <laughs> <laughs> That could be another reason. <laughs> so, I mean, and that really does show a different set of values. Mm-hmm. And this is... You know, yeah. this is from majority class to majority class. Mm-hmm. It's not sort of, oh, hello, you know, it's <laughs> artist, you know, so. Yeah.
5: I so think there's an importance. I can't remember who said it earlier, about the importance of Haitian art as well as a history teller. Mm. a teller of alternative histories, mm. just narratives of history. You know, as a historian writing about Haiti, um, I kind of feel loath to say this, but it's kind of the most vivid way the Haitian history is told. I think if you, if you look mm. at the art, it's almost better than going to the books, you know? You get a whole different set of narratives really vividly told, mm-hmm. um, you know, in so many different voices. And
4: totally, it, because uh, there's two things that make that important, is that it's an oral tradition. Yes. Mm-hmm from the beginnings, that's the way it was transmitted. So it's uh, much easier to communicate with image than it is any other way. Mm-hmm. Of course, radio played a big role in, in speech, mm. but, but uh, images w- were and still are, you know, an immediate thing, very yeah. powerful mm-hmm. immediate mm-hmm. way well of like communicating.
2: Well, I can certainly say, it like a, again, at Freeze because I spent more of my time there, I would say a lot of the uh, visitors to Freeze now know that Haiti is not Tahiti. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. the paintings have really <laughs> helped me communicate yeah. this, you know, very important point. Um, um, are, there, are, there any other, are there any other questions or thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I wanted to
5: oh. ask about that... Oh, thank you. The
7: question of women. I mean, I think Leah and Wendy just mentioned a couple of women artists, but are there women artists making work in Haiti? Are they represented? Um,
2: yeah. You both can talk.
4: About.
7: There,
4: there mm. are women artists. Uh, Haiti went through phases. Um, I saw it in my lifetime where women express themselves much more freely. I think we're back now to a time where male domination is very much felt in Haiti.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, it has to do with the type of government we have too, also. Mm-hmm. But I think um, where I've seen women express themselves more in Haiti in the arts is in voodoo uh, transmission where they were always considered equal. There were a lot of women priestesses and voodoo flags, for instance, <coughs> is one of the mediums where women are very much you know, expressing themselves. It's harder in sculpture physically. I mean, it's especially in the area where they produce these very big things using recycled material that is massive and all of that. I think that probably is one of the reasons why there are not so many women, but I know there are some coming out. Yeah, I mean we were really pleased
1: uh, at the show at Pioneer Works to have the the work of Caitlin Mm -hmm. Alexi. and uh, the first trip that Edouard and I made, we were kind of looking at different works and I think we returned after six weeks and she had made like a 20 foot huge metal sculpture. Mm, And she was like, "Uh, I made this just in case you fancied it. (laughs) And uh, you know, it was immediately in the show. So, you know, we were really happy to, cause she's making in a way this very big, large scale recycled work. I mean, there's also Milan Constant Mm -hmm. who uh, has taken the kind of voodoo flag tradition to another place and Mm. taken it away from a kind of symbol, a symbolic flag, you know, representing a spirit to these sort of massive historical mm. tableaus which mm-hmm. have about 20 histories all happening at the same time in the one, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of almost renaissance type thing mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. have the whole story and narrative in
4: the mm-hmm. one tableau. And in the so Saint-Soleil, I think Louisiane saint yes. is probably the most fantastic artist of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Saint-Soleil yes. a woman and... Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, are, I would have exactly. I would have loved to include uh, her work, and I think it's beautiful her work, but we couldn't quite find we couldn't find any for the show, and the best works are all in the museum, so you know we couldn't include it. But I w- I would love to. But in some ways, our show is representative of the of the male dominance. But um, I can attest <coughs> to that. To, to Les, art has been great. Um, I'm going to have to wrap up. So your your question, maybe we can come to afterwards. Uh, the lady over, there. is it fast your question?
5: It's what? It's a quick question.
2: Yeah. OK, go on. Um, really fast, really fast. <laughs>
5: um, but I was going to say that um, even with, like,
1: everything being said, with, like, wanting to, like, share Haiti's, like, uh, like, universally, I also, like, really liked what Axel was saying and with how, like, Haiti doesn't necessarily, like, care for, like, foreigners, like, opinion... Not opinions, but, like, you know, like, acceptance. So uh, my question was, do you think there are ways of still being like progressive in the art world but without being globalized, like how you said like you drew reference with like how <coughs> the black Bar like took over New York City and always wanting to like bring Haiti. I'm sorry, like... I'm not
4: hearing you too oh, well so sorry, my
1: question is Can you can you
2: synopsize it in just a single sentence? Because otherwise we're gonna be here too <laughs> Do long. you
1: think art uh, and work from the Caribbean or like smaller islands can be can still be progressive, but not be
2: globalized? Oh. <laughs>
6: um. And on that
2: note, <laughs> no, I think, I think that's a very interesting question. I think we, you should come up and we, we can discuss it, because mm. that's a very complex yes, question. I and, and I think it's a good question to end on. Well, I because. I do think
1: that it links exactly what uh, Axel and I were saying that, I mean, there's a kind of talk I do, which is about an internalized market, for Haitian art, which has nothing to do, it's its totally local and not global, where Eugène, my partner, makes a work. He's very determined that he does not make ritual objects. Mm. He, he, he's influenced and inspired by his culture, but they're not ritual objects. But then they're bought by a Baka, do you know him, Emperor Sanson? Mm-hmm. He's the emperor of the Bizango societies. Mm-hmm. And then he places that on an altar, mm-hmm. and then that becomes something else. So there is an internal circular um, market which does have nothing to do with the global
5: mm-hmm. so yes it's th- about who you're trying to get recognition from right mm-hmm. or yeah. you know it won't necessarily change the narrative so then you know next time you have an art we we might have the same narrative again of let's think about hector hippolyte and how we have a different but you know there are mm-hmm. internal narratives that are different yes. that, Philippe kind of Jeannot,
1: who you have a collection of mm-hmm. uh, who's a fantastic painter and a really great artist, but also he used to get like hired by Silver Joseph to paint Mm -hmm. the interiors of his temples.
2: I I guess, look, I'm gonna say, you know, next year, maybe we can bring some of these artists here. So I'm gonna... Can I just say something about progressive? I
3: think the other thing is very important. We have to rethink progressivism. (laughs) I think the idea of a progressive artist, I think that was already kind of challenged by precisely negritude, black surrealism, what's been called polycentric universalism of modernity. It kind of that progressive narrative has been transformed, and Haiti has a very important role to play in thinking, unthinking progressive narratives of art in a way, and alternative narratives mm-hmm. of progress. So there may be something there that was a different model of how art might be thought outside of that modernist paradigm, which was the progressive,
2: you know, super progressivist. Very good. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm now going to take you, John, wherever I go. I have something to say you're coming with. I, 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 you're, you're very eloquent on that point. Look, I want to thank my panelists. I want to thank John, Leah, Wendy, Axel. I want to thank all of you. Um, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Echo and I want to thank the fair. Um, If you want to visit Haiti, you will like it. If you think you will like it, you will love it. Um, (laughs) If you're free at six o'clock at my gallery on Chilton Street, we've got lots of alcohol, lots of food, and maybe a band, but I think it might be closed down, so come early. And that's on (laughs) Chilton Street, opposite the firehouse. So thank you all, thank you all, thank you all. Uh,